you, my brother. Thank you. Wonderful. Turn to Psalms chapter number four, please. Psalms chapter number four. Find your place. And I believe I'm on remote microphone. Am I correct? Am I on? All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. If you look at Psalms chapter number four, we're going to start there uh, right away here and get right into the message. Well, it's wonderful to be here again, and I'm thrilled that Rhonda and I could pass this way. And we had a wonderful meal at the pastor's home just before we came over here, and he changed my doctrine. All these years, I have been an independent Baptist preacher, but after that meal this evening before the service, I am a full gospel Baptist preacher. That's what I am. And uh, now that's not describing my charismatic background. That's describing how full my stomach is. I want you to know that. And uh, it's wonderful to be here. Rhonda and I are thrilled to be everywhere. And we keep showing up more places than Elvis. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we're in 50 churches this year. And uh, I told Rhonda, I keep reminding her that we are doing this, keeping this kind of schedule when we're young, uh, because we won't be able when we get old. I'm, I'm 77 now, by the way, anyway. And so she keeps looking at me saying, and how old do you think we are now? And uh, so, but we're having the time of our life. I tell people we're going to end up like that cartoon character you used to see that ran through three stone walls, you know, boom, blew right through stone walls. He turned and smiled at the camera and a little crack came right here and he just cracked up and fell in a pile. And that's the way it'll end up for her and I, but it's good to be here. Well, I've hardly... Uh, I've got more uh, almost than I can uh, teach, so I'm going to uh, preach, so I'm going to get right into it now and start pretty quick. But since we were here, Rhonda and I have had more grandchildren. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't had more, any more children in the last 12 months. I'm sure you know that, um, just for your curiosity information. Uh, but we have had more grandchildren. We've got another great coming on the way, three greats and 40 41 grandchildren, 10 children, 41 grandchildren. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you younger people knew or not, but in, in the, uh, a generation ago, when a baby was born, the father was not allowed to go in the delivery room, and he had no idea whether it was a boy or a girl. There was no way in those days to tell like you can today. So uh, when I was born, my dad waited out in the uh, father's waiting room and uh, then the doctor would come out and make the announcement. And I heard this story of three men that were sitting in a uh, waiting area and their wives were having babies. It was a rather large hospital and a large maternity ward, several uh, maternity doctors on call at the same time. And a doctor opened the door and walked out and said to the first man, congratulations, congratulations, your wife just gave uh, birth to twins. And he said, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, my wife's been reading the book, The Tale of Two Cities. And we just had this joke going on. What if she had twins after reading The Tale of Two Cities? And uh, about that time, the door opened again, and a doctor walked out and said to the second man, congratulations, your wife just had triplets. And he said, what? I can't believe this. My wife was reading The Three Musketeers, and we had this laughter. What if she gave birth to triplets after reading The Three Musketeers? The third man jumped up and started running out of the room. Somebody said, hey, where are you going? 
He said, I don't know, but I'm getting out of here. My wife's been reading The Birth of a Nation. I'm getting out of here. And uh, so we've been accused of reading The Birth of a Nation. Well, I've got more to, to say than I've got time to say it. I don't hardly know where to start. One, one fellow said, you know, I don't hardly know where to start tonight. And a little boy on the back row hollered, start somewhere near the end. And uh, I, I can't start near the end, but I better start and get started here. I'm open to Psalms chapter number four. And uh, here, here's something. You know, I have about uh, 50 sermons I could have preached tonight. I've got two outline books full in that briefcase right now. And uh, I've only preached about eight or ten sermons here in the two or three times that I've been here. And so you can imagine all the things I wanted to preach. But here is one that I, I and what I do is I look at the crowd and the, the age of the crowd, the number of the crowd, the age, not so much the number, but the age of the crowd. And I, then I look at what service I'm in. This is a midweek service. This is Wednesday night. This is a time when you want to learn something from the Bible. It's okay to have preaching on Wednesday night. And I imagine I'll do a little preaching before it's over with here. But uh, my purpose tonight is to give you something you can take home, something that you learn and leave with something you did not know before you came. And that is my purpose. And I'm open to Psalms chapter 4 and verse number Four. Everybody stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Buckle your seatbelt. We're going for a ride. We're going to be teaching from this King James Bible. And by the way, preacher, you said you didn't expect a whole lot tonight. It's a pretty good crowd for midweek service. It really is, and thank the Lord. I want to say before I begin here that uh, my wife and I walk in and out of churches all the time. I mean, every week we're in somebody's church. We go in big churches, little churches, city churches, country churches. We go in, in sophisticated churches, redneck churches, and we go in all kinds of churches. And you can believe me when I tell you that uh, we live a varied life. Listen, we just flew here from hillbilly uh, country, Missouri. And uh, I'm talking about everybody there in cowboy boots and Cowboy hats and sports shirts and, and uh, under a tabernacle, open-sided tabernacle, and hundreds of people coming to the services. And, uh, man, I mean, they're they making homemade ice cream with an old-fashioned steam engine. You hear that pop and pop and pop and pop. Uh, you just cannot know. <coughs> Ron and I marvel at the difference in culture of the areas that we go to. But I said all that to say this. I have never walked in a nicer, cleaner church than this church. Never in my life have I walked into it. And it's wonderful. You could eat off the floors downstairs right now. I wouldn't do it, but you could. You could. You could eat off the floors. Everything is so nicely done and remodeled and freshly painted. And how about those new glass doors out there? I noticed that as I came in. Man, I'll tell you what, they're about to make an uptown church out of you down-home people. Did you know that? And it's wonderful. I want to thank you. And i tell you what that's a reflection of. Somebody said years ago, everything <coughs> rises or falls on leadership. And uh, the pastor don't make the church, but he is the leader of the church. He's the pastor of the church. And you've got a great pastor here, and I know you know that. He and his wife, and um, she looks so young, it looks like he's running around with a teenager. But anyway... <coughs> uh, he told me some funny things. He probably told you. He said, sometime we'll be somewhere and said, I'll have my arm around Jesse. And she looked so young looking, people will think that he, uh, 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 what is it, uh, ran off, yeah. Uh, what is it, Rhonda? Abducted her, yeah. 
I was thinking adopted, but that don't fit. Ad abducted her. And they'll lean over and say, honey, are you okay? Are you all right? How old are you? <laughs> well, anyway, it's wonderful to be here. It's good just to see the Lord working in a great way. I'm open to Psalms chapter number four and verse number four. Here's what the psalmist said. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. And he used the word selah. The word selah means stop. Hold the fort. Put on the brakes right here. Pause. Stop. And think about what was just said. So what was just said before that? He said commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Commune. That word commune means communication. If you're communing with somebody, you're talking with somebody. And what did he say? Commune with who? Your own heart. So literally, what he's saying here in this verse is talk to somebody. And who are you talking to? You're talking to yourself. Commune with your own heart. Talk to yourself. Listen. Here is a lost doctrine in our Baptist churches and the rest of the churches too. And it's this doctrine of talking to yourself. Someone has said that there's three you ought to talk to every day. Number one, you ought to talk to God every day. Number two, you ought to talk to the devil every day. Dr. Curtis Hudson taught me this. I said, well, Dr. Hudson, you talk to the devil? He said, yeah, I speak to the devil every day. I said, what do you say to the devil? He said, I say things like this. Devil, I know who's putting these thoughts in my mind. I know who's trying to make me angry. I know who's trying to get me upset. I know who's trying to act, make me not act right toward my parents or my children or my wife or my husband. Now, devil, in the name and the blood of Jesus, get out of here and leave me alone. He said, I talk to the devil every day of my life. And then number three, you ought to talk to yourself every day of your life. Now, there's other people you ought to talk to every day of your life. If you're married, you ought to talk to your spouse every day of your life. If you have children, you ought to talk to your children. If you have parents, you ought to talk to your parents. If you're on the job, there's people you work with you need to talk to and should talk to every day of your life. But there's three imperatives. Number one, God. Number two, Satan. And number three, yourself. Talk to yourself. Psalm 77, 6, I commune with my own spirit and my diligent, uh, my uh, spirit made diligent search. Now listen carefully to this. Listen carefully. All over the Bible, the Bible teaches us we're to talk to ourselves. Let's bow our heads in prayer and I'll let you be seated and I'll take it up from there. Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done for us tonight. Lord, I feel your presence here. I believe that you're going to do great and wonderful things. I lean on you and I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I ever dreamed, learning to lean on Jesus. I pray that you'll bless us now, Lord, as we lean on you uh, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. Psalm 77, 6, I commune, watch it, don't, don't miss it now, I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. And then what did he say in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6? Nehemiah said, watch it, I consulted with myself. He said, I had a consultation, I had a conversation. I got some counsel and advice from somebody and the person I got it from was myself. How about Ecclesiastes 1, verse number 16? It is said of Solomon, I commune with my own heart. I commune with my own heart. And then here in our text, 
Commune with your own heart upon your own bed and be still, Selah. Now, look, what's he talking about? He's literally talking about dragging up a chair and having a talk with yourself. I go place to place. I'll teach this lesson. I have people come up to me and say, well, pastor, I, I've been talking to myself for years. I thought I was crazy. And other people thought I was crazy. But I found out I got good sense. You need to talk to yourself. Now, when should you talk to yourself? Well, I'm going to give you some times now to talk to yourself. Number one, you need to talk to yourself in the hour of decision. I'm turning now, you can jot it down if you like, but I'm turning to Luke 16, verse number one. In Luke 16, you, you're turning there. That's a good idea. Matthew, Mark, Luke 16, and verse number one. Now, in Luke 16, verse number one, Jesus gives a parable. And here's what he said. He said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his good. And he called him, and he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. Now, look up at me. Here is a rich man. He's got a lot of assets. Maybe he's got real estate. Maybe he's got livestock. Maybe he's got money. Maybe he's got gold. But he's got a man hired to take care of all of it. And he gets word from a reputable source that this man has been uh, wasting his stuff. So he calls him on the carpet. He said in verse 2, And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. You're going to have to give an account. We're calling you on the carpet. And so here comes this servant in. And the Bible says that this servant is worried sick. And the Bible says the very next verse, verse 3, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. Now who is he talking to? Himself. Do you see it? Then the steward said within himself. Now here's what he said. Look here. He says, Self, what are you going to do? He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I can't dig. I've never been into manual labor. And to beg, I'm ashamed. I don't want to become a pauper and, 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 and be on the street. I don't know what. Well, you better figure out something. And, and if you don't figure out something fast, you're going to get your walking papers and you're going to be without a job. I know that. You don't have to tell. He's talking to himself. But what am I going to Hold it. I know what I'll do. Now watch the plan he came up with. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll just go out and I'll tell everybody that owes my master to give him 50% of everything they owe him and they can walk out scot-free and never pay the rest of it. Now the plan that he came up with was a pretty dumb plan. If you had somebody taking care of your stuff and they told everybody that owed you just to pay you 50% of what they owed you and they could walk out scot-free. Would you keep him or would you fire him? fire him? I'd fire him. I'd send him down the road. I wouldn't keep a man who wasted my stuff like that. He had wasted his master's stuff. But it went on to say, the Bible says that the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Watch this. Because the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. Lost people sometimes are smarter than saved people in what they do. 
And his smartness was not in this super plan he came up with. His smartness was in the fact that he talked to himself. He had a conversation with himself. He had some smarts inside that he could tap into. Did you know that the experiences of life that you have, the, 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 the things that have happened to you has taught you a lot of wisdom? And if you would stop and consult yourself, if you stop and talk to yourself, you could draw out some of that wisdom. I think about the verse in uh, Proverbs 26, 5. Let me just read it to you. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. In other words, you got some smarts down inside, but you needed. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, if that guy would just talk, if that guy would just uh, talk to himself, if he had just, if he had just talked to himself, uh, then, uh, you know, if she would only be honest with herself. How many of you ever heard those phrases? If that, if that girl would just be honest with herself, she'd know so-and-so. How many of you ever heard things like that? We all have. Well, the easiest person in the world to lie to is yourself. Because you don't argue back when you lie to yourself. <laughs> you won't correct yourself when you lie to yourself. It's easy to lie to yourself. And so the Bible says, counsel in the heart of man is like deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. But in Isaiah 29, verse 15, woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. So we hide the true answers from God and we lie to ourselves. But you know, and, and here, by the way, in Luke 12 and verse number 16, the Bible's full of this, folks. Luke 12 and verse number 16, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Let me, let me just quote it to you. Ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now watch it. And he said within himself, what shall I do? I don't have any way to take care of all my goods. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll be big barns. And so I can put all the stuff that I've got in the barns. Now God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. You're a fool. You're going to pile up all this stuff and then die and it'll go to somebody else anyway. But now here's what I want you to see. The Bible says a certain rich man, he had goods and, and his his fields brought forth more than he could handle. And he said within himself, what shall I do? I have more than I can handle. He was talking to himself, but he was lying to himself. Look, if I say to myself, you know, I got more than I got more money than I can spend. I got more real estate than I can handle. What's a wise thing for me to do? Give some, give some to somebody that don't have more than they can handle. Give some to God. Give some to the work of the Lord. He lied to himself. It's easy to lie to yourself, but we need to talk to ourselves in the hour of decision. Pastor, I know a preacher. You probably would know the name if I called it. I know a preacher that years ago talked to me, and he was getting ready to go south because he got a call from a church in the south. He had a church running about 150, and he was in the north, and he got this call to go to a church running four or 500 in the south. And man, he was excited about going. And so I talked to him. And after I talked to him about talking to himself, he took out a sheet of paper and he wrote down on one side all the reasons he ought to go south and take that church. 
Number one, I am a southerner, and I'm from the south, and I eat like a southerner. These poor pitiful Yankees don't know what a pinto bean is. I, I eat like a southerner, and, and, and I, I talk like a southerner. Now, uh, people have been around me a long time. They get used to me, but all you folks know that I talk like a southerner. How many realize I talk like a southerner? I ran into a lady here a while ago that was from New England State, from Maine. She talks like a maniac. I, I mean, a woman from Maine. I, I mean, listen, what I'm trying to say, <laughs> picking on you now, what I'm trying to say is this. I'm trying to say uh, that, uh, and so he said, I'm going to go south. And he wrote it down. My folks are getting old. Someday they'll need me. I love to hunt and fish. That's a hunt and fish in paradise down there. And he wrote down all the reasons he ought to go south. Then on the other side of the paper, he's, he's talking to himself. Now, on the other side of the paper, he made a list of all the reasons maybe he ought to stay. Reason number one, and he wrote it down, God put me here. He stopped. He looked at that, tore up the paper, threw it in the trash can, stayed. That's been 20-some years ago he built a church to over 800 because he had a talk with himself. He drug up a chair and had a talk with himself. Look, now let's bring one down for you folks in the pew. Uh, I had a young fella in my church years ago, had two or three little children, and it was in the early days of our church, and he was helping me with my young people. He wasn't paid, but he was helping me, and he was just doing great. His children were doing great. His wife was doing great. And they were just in the middle of what God was doing there, kind of like this church here. And uh, he came to me one day and said, well, preacher, they're going to move me. I said, who's going to move you? Well, he said, my work. Uh, they're going to move me. Uh, they want me to be foreman of, in a factory up north. And uh, by the way, let me stop right here and say this. Nobody ought to move you but God. You see, I got to move. My work says I got to move. Let me tell you something. It's God who tells you what to do, not your work. Your ultimate boss is not your job. The ultimate boss is your God, your Lord. And uh, it's not your job, your boss man. And uh, so, but anyway, he says they're going to move him. And I said to him, I said, is there a good church up there where you're going? Well, they say there is. Now, folks, let me tell you something. You don't find this kind of church everywhere you go. Now, you just don't. Uh, if you don't know that, it's because you've got tunnel vision. You better go on a vacation, and you better drop in at churches and try to find a good church where a man preaches the King James Bible and they give an invitation, and where they try to get people saved, and where they don't have rock and roll music, and where the uh, teenage girls uh, aren't uh, dressed like a bunch of street walkers. Now, I'm just simply saying, you, you, go, you go out there, and you, you find a good church like this if you can. There's a few, but you don't find them everywhere. And so... I told him, I said, you better be careful now what you're doing. Well, he moved. It wasn't many years after that. He called back and he said, preacher, my little daughter's expecting out of wedlock and I never dreamed such a thing would happen in my home. And I thought to myself, your little daughter's friends the same age that she was when, when she left here. They've all grown up doing well, all living clean and right. Far as I know, there wasn't one case in our youth group like that. And, and that doesn't prove she wouldn't have done it if she had stayed. And I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is this. He took his family out from under the influence of a great church and great preaching and a King James Bible three-time-a-week type message. And I'm telling you something, he's paid the fare. He's paid the fare. If he had only set himself down and said, look, if I don't take that job, they may fire me, but I can get another job. And besides, I may be making $5 an hour more up yonder, but if I've got to give up this good church, it's not worth it. 
And I'm going to keep my family where they can be fed, first of all, spiritual food, and then God will help me provide some physical food for them. If he'd only had a talk with himself. But he didn't have a talk with himself. Uh, let, let me give you one. We got some uh, preacher's children and other children here. And, uh, well, we did have. Yeah, there they are. And uh, uh, l- let me give you one. When I started the Marion Avenue Baptist Church, we had four teenagers. One of them was a young girl by the name of Joyce. And Joyce was a sweet little girl, loved the Lord. And she was 14 years old. And her mom and daddy went with me to Hammond, Indiana, to the First Baptist Church Pastor School. And this had been years and years ago. And uh, so they thought that was the grandest thing in the world. And they came home and they told their 14-year-old daughter, Joyce, said, Joyce, we want to transfer you to that Christian school up there in Chicago. And we've already contacted a member of that church for you to stay in their home, board away, and we're going to pay them to keep you in their home. And we've already arranged it. And this is what we want to do. And this is what God's telling us to do. And you'll enter in the Christian school. Can you imagine? Can, can you imagine the trauma of such a thing? And you're, you're older than 14. But can you imagine how traumatic that would be to a 14-year-old girl to uproot and leave all her friends and leave everything she's ever known? And besides, Joyce was a country girl. She woke up every morning to the sound of the hog feeders flapping out in the backyard. They had raised hogs and turkeys and everything. And she, I remember Joyce saying this. Now watch it, don't forget it. I remember later, after it was all over, Joyce said, I said to myself, Joyce, you can't do that. You can't leave your house and go up there in that old sin-filled, smog-filled city of Chicago. You don't know anybody up there. You don't have any friends up there. You weren't made for that big city. You was made to be down here on the farm. You can't do that. By the way, she talked to her parents and they wouldn't back down. As a matter of fact, they never did back down and they stayed with their decision and, and she went. But now wait a minute. A couple of things I want to tell you. Number one, I would not have made the decision those parents made. I feel like that a 14-year-old girl needs her mama and daddy about as bad as she needs anybody else and anything else in this world. But what I'm trying to say to you is these parents felt that that's what God wanted them to do, and they told Joyce, Joyce, this is it. You're going to go. And I remember Joyce saying at that time, she said, I said, well, Joyce, what are you going to do? And Joyce said to herself, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't do that. I don't want to. I'll die if I have to leave my friends. And she said, I can't, finally came to this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be a little rebel devil. I'm not going to run away from home. I'm not going to walk over my mother and daddy. I'm not going to say, no, I'm not doing it and leave the house. I'm not going to do that. I don't know what I am going to do. I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I just know what I'm not going to do. And based on that, she obeyed her parents and went And she graduated from Hammond Baptist High School and entered college of her own choice after that at Hiles Anderson College, which is the mother college to the school. And her junior year, she met a young fellow by the name of Terry Angel. And they fell in love, and I married him in my church. And as soon as he graduated, he came to work with me full-time assistant pastor. 
And Joyce played our piano part of the time and so forth. She became one of our teachers and she became the mother of six children. And the Lord called Terry to a church in Bourbon, Illinois, run 150. It's now running over six or 700. And Joyce speaks to ladies everywhere. She found the perfect will of God. She found the young man she could have found nowhere else in the world except there. And God has blessed her. And she tells ladies and women everywhere, because I just did what my parents told me to do, but she had to have a talk with herself. And she had to say, look, you may not know what you're going to do, but you know what you're not going to do. Talk to yourself. And I've talked to preachers now. I've talked to you laymen. I've talked to young people, and I'm talking to the rest of you. You're going to have to have a talk with yourself in the hour of decision. Number two, you need to have a talk to yourself in the hour of testing. Let me quote you a verse. 1 Samuel 30 and verse number 6, the Bible says this clearly. It says, and David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now, David was greatly distressed. Here's, here's why he was so distressed. He, met, he had made a decision that cost his closest friends and allies their, their families. Their wife, the enemy came and got him and took him away because of a decision that David made. And he was greatly distressed. Is there anybody in this room who never gets greatly distressed? Would you raise your hand? Never gets greatly distressed. Well, I was hoping somebody would raise their hand because I've never met anybody like that. I've never met anybody that never got greatly distressed. And he was greatly distressed. But here's what he said. Watch it now. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What did he say to himself? Oh, no. I know what I can say to myself when I get depressed, distressed, or discouraged, or despondent. And I got a responsibility to God to say it. And you know some things you can say to yourself to encourage yourself when you get blue and down and dark and dismal and despondent. And you're responsible to God to say that and get yourself up. None of us can afford the luxury of wallowing around in our pity. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. We all get that tendency now and then, but we, we should not submit to that kind of an attitude. We're not a help to anybody when we do. We don't, are not a blessing to anybody when we do. He was greatly distressed, but he had a talk with himself. Um, my first wife and I, my first wife and I were married 39 years. And she died with cancer. And uh, my first wife and I went uh, three years and wanting children, couldn't have any, and finally had a little boy. Perfect nine months, ladies. Perfect nine months. The baby was born within two days of the predicted due date and lived a couple of days and died. My wife had almost died. We had a maternity doctor that didn't know anything. He got kicked out of our little local hospital for malpractice after this incident because he didn't know enough to, to be a doctor. And uh, he almost let my wife die. The baby should have been born by surgery, but he was stubborn and ignorant, and he about let her die. Suffice it to say, ladies, it was 21 days before she could come to the table to eat. 
That's how bad she was. How she ever got a right mind back, I'll never know. But anyway, when the baby died, I went in the room, and she looked up at me, and she said, Larry, promise me that we'll never have another baby. You know, when you go through a crisis and you're going to make quick decisions, it's time to stop and talk to yourself and say, now, wait a minute, why don't I wait a while? I'm in no mental condition to make a decision right now. I said, honey, I can't promise you that, but I will promise you this, and I felt led to say this to her. I said, I will promise you that we'll never have another baby till you get ready to have one. And that comforted her. That was a comfort to her. Well, she went on and had seven more and didn't have a problem. But here's the thing. She had to talk to herself. Uh, she died with breast cancer uh, when she was 58 years old. And she died at home. And she, when she got down real bad, she was laying on the couch there. We had to help her up to the bedroom. And, uh, but she was laying on the couch. And she looked up at me. She said, Larry, how are the children doing? I had seven children, all of them at home at that time. Uh, well, all but uh, one, and they were there at the house when she died. I, she said, how are the children doing? I said, well, honey, all right. I'm worried about one of them. She said, what's wrong? What is she doing? I said, well, she's saying things. I had five daughters and two boys, by the way. And, and I said, honey, she's th saying things like, Dad, you don't have to worry about it. Mom's not going to die. My mother, God would not let my mother die. After the way she served God all these years and been the perfect mother and the perfect Sunday school teacher and the perfect wife to you and the perfect everything, and you think in souls that she's won to God in the bus route that she ran, and you think God would let my mother die? Dad, I've got peace. My mother will not die. God won't let her die. And I remember her saying that to me. And so I told her mother what she said. She said, send her to me. And she came in and stood over her mother's there on the couch. And her mother looked up at her and said, girl, I'm going to tell you something. When I was 16 years old, when I was 16 years old, my 39-year-old mother died instantly. Deep varicose vein, below, a blood clot from a vein below the knee slipped, went straight to her lungs. She went into a convulsion and died. She said, I was 16. I didn't have a sister. I had two little brothers, one of them nine, one of them 14. She said, Daddy had to work two jobs to keep the wolf off the door and was trying to tend to us children. She said, I didn't have a close friend. I didn't have a boyfriend. She said it was the darkest hour of my life. She said, honey, I thought life would end right there for me. I thought there was, there was no more to life than that. I might keep breathing and live on for years, but as far as living, I would never live. And she said this. She looked up at her and said, I'm going to tell you something, girl. The best years of my life was still ahead. Your dad... The years we've spent together, this church, this great ministry of what God has used, how God has used us to build this church. You seven children. The best years of my life were still ahead for me. And she looked up at her and said, I'm going to tell you something, girl. If I can give up my 58, uh, if I can give up my 58, excuse me, if I can give up my 39-year-old mother when I'm 16 years old, you can give up your 58-year-old mother 
when you're 21 years old, now you straighten up. And she did straighten up. You say, how'd that girl end up? Well, she married Dr. Jack Treber's son, if you ever heard of Dr. Jack Treber. And uh, they built a great church in Phoenix, Arizona. Been there two years. And she's the happy mother of five children. And uh, just as happy as she can be. And you know why? Because her mother got her to talk to herself. When you go through dark hours and hard times and funerals and divorces and, and burying children and whatever, you're going to have to have a talk with yourself. You're going, to have, you, you're going to have all kinds of things going on in your brain. Set yourself down and say, look, you're not the only person that ever went through something like this. You're not the only person that ever had a husband walk out of their life as though they never lived. You're not the only person that ever went out and buried one of your children. You're not the only person that ever got cancer. You're not the only person that ever lost your job. You're not the only person that ever had a heartbreak and disappointment. Now straighten up. You've got to talk to yourself. You've got to talk to yourself in the hour of testing. In the hour of testing. I was preaching with Bud Silver in Santa Maria, California. Bud Silver in his 20s was building a church. His wife was still in her 20s. They had four little children. And his wife was going over to a Christian school to help at the school and driving the van over so they could provide Christian education for their children. Well, one morning going over there, there was a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler and it, it, there was uh, 11 on the van. It killed everybody on that van except Brother Silver's a little four-year-old girl. It killed his wife, killed his other children, killed the teenagers on the van, it killed all the other children on the van, 11 of them. And there was only one that survived. The other 10 died. I said, Brother Silver, what did you do? He said, well, I, I just kept pastoring this church. He said, what else was I going to do? I said, Brother Silver, didn't you face bitterness? You're, you're, you're trying to build a church. You're in your 20s. He, I saw pictures of his wife that was made not long before she died. I saw the picture of the accident with the claws laying over the bodies out there beside the van. I saw the newspaper articles. He wrote a book on it. I've got the book. I said, Brother Silver, didn't you get bitter about that? He said, you know, Brother Brown, some way I did not. I said, how did you keep from getting bitter? He said, you know, I just said to myself, Jesus still loves me. Jesus still loves me. No matter what I've gone through, no matter how dark and dismal and disappointing it is, Jesus still loves me. He had a talk with himself. And brother, you're going to go through some dark hours. You need to set yourself down and have a talk with yourself in the hour of testing. And just drag up a chair and have a talk with you. Here's another thing. You need to talk to yourself in the hour of life's natural crises. Uh, turn to the book of Psalms chapter 90. It won't take you too long to get there. I want you to see this. Psalms chapter 90. And I'm going to read one verse. I'm going to read a couple, but I'll start with one verse. In Psalms chapter 90. Psalms is the biggest book in the Old Testament. Biggest book in the Bible. And if you'll turn to Psalms chapter 90... I'm going to read one verse, and that's verse number 12. And here's a verse that we quote often, but we don't understand it. I'm going to explain it to you tonight. In Psalms chapter 90 and verse number 12, here's what it says. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, wait a minute. 
So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now let me ask you a question. What does that mean? Well, first of all, what does it not mean? Does that mean number your days? Add up all the days you're going to live. Now you know how many days you're going to live. Now you look back and know how to live them wisely or smartly. How do we know that's not what it means? Huh? Who knows how many days you're going to live? There's nobody here can add up all the days you're going to live. I can't. You know, uh, there's children here may be dead before I am. I may be dead before the week's out. I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know how many days I'm going to live. But the context of the scripture explains what it means. So teach us to number our days. Four verses before this, here's what it says. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Look now in verse number nine. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. And then it goes on to say... Three verses later, so teach us to number our days and we apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now watch this. Look at it now. We spend our years like a book told. And every book has chapters in it. Right? Our life has chapters in it. We don't know how many days we're going to live, but we do know that if we continue to live, there's at least three major chapters in our life. There is youth, There is middle age, and there's old age. Now, there would be a lot of disagreement if we tried to pinpoint where one of those stopped and the other started. (laughs) But we do know this. We do know, we all understand that those three categories exist in our life. Youth, middle age, and old age. How many agree? We do know they exist. Raise your hand. We don't know maybe when one stops and the other starts, and that's a big matter of opinion. But we do know they exist. Now, stop and think of this. Did you ever stop and think about that verse over in 1 John 2? And here's what it says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. But the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Did you ever stop and think that you cannot commit a sin that doesn't fall in one of those three categories? The lust of the flesh, the desire to enjoy something. The lust of the eyes, the desire to get something. Or the pride of life, uh, the old age, the pride of life, the desire to be something. And did you know each one of those sin categories falls in youth? Youth, the lust of the flesh, the desire to enjoy something. Now you can have lust of the flesh at middle age and old age even. But it's particularly confined to youth. Whenever you see anything advertised, whether it's a Budweiser or a Pepsi, if it's for the enjoyment of the flesh, they always use young people to advertise it. They don't let grandma sell Pepsis. Did you know that? (laughs) Polydent, maybe, but not Pepsis. Uh, You young people don't know what polydent is. That's the stuff you used to sell that goes on the bottom of your false teeth so they won't work up and down, you know. Polydent, maybe, but not Pepsi. Now, here's what I'm saying. And so if you're in this age group, and we're not just talking here about a couple of teenagers tonight, we're talking about young people that are still in the youth group, youth area, era. they may not be in the youth group, they may be married and have children, but they're young, they're in their 20s, maybe 30s. Then those people have to watch the flesh. Youth is particularly susceptible to flesh sins. 
But then there's middle age, the lust of the flesh, the desire to enjoy something. The lust of the eyes, the desire to, desire to get something. In your middle age, we've got to get this house paid for. You know, we're buying another car, getting this. We're going to get that little piece of property. We've got to get this. We've got to remodel this house. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Because we're going to get old someday. And when we get old, we won't have anything. If we don't lay up now, we've got to get it. And if we don't watch, when we're in that middle age, we will have a tendency to pile up too much for self and make too many plans for ourselves for the future and leave God out. And we won't include God in our plans. Let me tell you something. Your best security for the future is not social security. Your best security, and I'm for social security, but your best security for the future is God with you. God with you. Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying middle age, the desire to get something, to have something, to possess something. So if you're in that middle age, you better watch because you won't give to God and God's work like you should because you, you have this tendency to want to pile it up for the future. Okay, but then there's old age, the desire to be something. And old age is called the pride age. Let me tell you what I used to do when I was a boy. You little whippersnappers think you do something where I used to walk to school every day at 10 below zero, you know. And one fellow said, did I tell you about my new grandson? And his friend said, no, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for not doing that. You know, old age, look, let me tell you something. I, I had uh, the other day, the other day I was with a preacher. And he said, you know, I find a tendency just to not be as mean when I preach as I used to be. I just want to be softer and nicer. He said, one of my church members said to me the other day, he said, preacher, you don't preach like you used to. He said, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, he didn't change his doctrine on the basic doctrines of life. Uh, and he's still a soul winning man. But when it comes to pointing his finger and calling people's sins out, he don't do it as much as he used to. It's not that he's not bold enough to do it. He's just tired of doing it. He wants to be nice. He wants to be liked by people. Well, I want to be liked by people too, but I believe we ought to tell the truth whether they like us or not. And people need to hear the truth and they need to be warned about their sin and they need to be warned about the devil's antics in their life. I'm 77 years old and I have to watch myself to make sure I stay on the firing line. And my wife loves it when I preach a mean sermon. She said, preach one of those mean sermons. You know, she likes that. <laughs> yeah, and so what am I saying? I'm saying... That when you're a young person, there's certain, you better watch it. There's certain sins you're susceptible to, the flesh. When you're middle-aged, you better watch it. You, you'll, you'll want to pile up too much for yourself and leave God out. And in your old age, you'll rest on your laurels. Rest on what, you know, I find a tendency. I try not to do it. Boy, let me tell you something, Brother Wood. All these years I've been in some great meetings. I've seen God do some great things. Well, let me tell you. There's a tendency to do that when you get your old age, the pride of life, to rest on your past accomplishments and all of that. That's not worth a dime. That's not worth a dime. What I've done in the past is not worth a dime in this congregation tonight. I need God's power again. I need God's anointing again. I need God's help again. Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying these three sins. And when we come to those ages and stages, we, the, the natural cycles. Of, and by the way, there's other cycles of life. I was on an airplane. I was witnessing. Boy, get this. Don't miss this. I was on an airplane, and I was witnessing to a 50-some-year-old Catholic lady. And she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. She, of course, was lost. She was depending on her church to get her to heaven. But she was a Sunday school teacher in the Catholic church. 
And uh, I was witnessing to her, and she was very lady. I mean, this lady had some character to her. She wasn't just a flippant. She was, and uh, so she had finished her leg of tending to the duties as an airline stewardess. This, this is before I met Rhonda. And uh, so I'm sitting here and talking. She's standing up, and I'm talking. She's standing near the back. And uh, she was telling me about her children. I was leading up to witness to her, you know. And she was telling about her children, where they were. They were grown and out of the home and so on. And I said, well, tell me this. What does your husband do? Well, she said, my husband divorced me. I said, well, I'm sorry. And then she said the funniest thing. Watch what she said. She said, yeah. She said he went through the change of life and went stone crazy and went and got him a younger woman. And then she said the funniest thing. She said, you know, it's funny. We women, we go through the change of life. We just dye our hair a different color or something. <laughs> but she said, these men go stone crazy. And she's right. Now, I know my biology, so don't look at me funny. But men go through the change of life just like women do. It may not be the same physical routine, but it is the same mental routine. And when a man comes to the age that he feels like youth is fleeing him, Somebody even hints that he's getting old. Oh, he panics. So what's the first thing he does? Try to prove to himself and others that he's still got it. Get the attention of some younger woman. And there's always some ditzy female willing to receive the attention of a man of about any age. Say amen, ladies. And you know what? <laughs> he, he throws away his marriage. He throws away his family. He throws away his testimony, if he's got one for God. And he throws away the best wife in the world that he could possibly have. And he throws away half his fortune or more because he's trying to prove something to himself that he's not. If you'd only drag up a chair and say, look, say to yourself, look, you are not 30 years old anymore. I, I went to the chiropractor not long ago and I said, Doc, uh, you, know, my, my, you know, I keep telling myself I'm 30 years old, but I'm not. And I said, Doc, my back hurts me anymore a lot of times. Uh, what, uh, what do you recommend for that? What, what's the cause of that? What do I recommend for that? He looked me square in the eye and says, Mr. Brown, the first thing you've got to do is remember that you are not 35 years old anymore. And I didn't want to hear that. But if I'll drag up a chair and say to myself, Brown, you're not 35 years old anymore. And if you try to act like a 35 year old all the time, you're going to inherit problems that you don't have to inherit. Here's what I mean. My wife knows consistently when I go to load that luggage in the car at the airport. Or many times unload. I can get them out easy and I can get them in. Those suit, we carry two suitcases away. One of them, 48 uh, 45 pounds, the other 48.5. And that's a whole lot of weight for me with a bad back. And I don't have a real bad back, but I got some pain at times. And she knows that I'll walk up and down the sidewalk looking for somebody. Well, the other day we rented a car in Missouri. Had to rent a car at the pastor's request. And we had to load the luggage and we rolled it out to the rental car. And I flagged and stopped a fellow. I said, sir, I've got a bad back. Could you help me load this luggage right here? Sure. I do it all the time. Don't Rhonda. All the time. All the time. Now, I can throw that luggage in there, but I'm having a talk with myself, and here's what I'm saying to myself. Now, Brown, look. If you'll take care of your back at 77 years of age, you might could live to 87. But if you keep jerking stuff around that you are not able to lift at 77, you ain't going to make it to 87 unless you're sitting in somebody's wheelchair somewhere. Right? 
So I have to have a talk with myself and say, look, here's what I'm saying. Uh, you would have given this woman, voted woman of the church in my church. It wasn't my wife, outside of my wife. She would have probably been voted woman of the church. But, but outside of her, this woman would have been voted woman of the church. And she had been married for years, raised children, good godly children, went to Bible college. She came to my wife and said this. She said, I'm driving my husband crazy. She says, what are you doing? She said, I'm, he'll come in. I'll say, where have you been? Who have you been talking to? Who did you see today? She said, I get in my mind. He's talking to some woman out there that he's, he's chattering. And my wife said to her, well, honey, has he ever given you any reason to believe? Have you ever seen any evidence or heard of any evidence that he's talking to some other woman? She said, no. And my wife said to her, honey, it's just your age. Your mind is playing with you. It's just your age. Women go through this thing at certain age. Look, I had a girl preacher that grew up in my church, and that girl was an angel. She grew up in my church, went to Bible college. That girl never put on anything you wouldn't have been happy for one of your daughters to wear. Not one thing. And she grew up, went to Bible college, and lived the life, never turned her head the wrong direction, not one time, and married Mr. Wonderful, and had a bunch of children. And after all that, she came to my wife and said, she said, I'm tempted to wear things I've never put on in my life. I'm tempted to go places I've never gone in my life. I'm tempted to say things I've never said in my life. What is wrong with me? And my wife said to her, honey, you just hit a certain age. Women go through this thing of a certain age, and they get all squirrely in their brain about things. And she said, you got to set yourself down and talk to yourself. And I'm speaking to men and women and teenagers and children and mama and grandma and grandpa. We just got to have a talk with ourselves. Drag up a chair and have a talk with yourself in the different cycle, life's natural cycle. You know, it's a funny thing. You have a family join your church. And they have a little five, six, seven-year-old. And they'll say, Pastor Wood, we want you to know we came to this church because you preach the truth and you preach standards and you preach against rock music and dope heads and this, that, and the other. And you call sin by name. And we want our children to be under this kind of preaching. And then they stay here, and when those children get to be about 15 or 16, preacher, could we have a little grace? Could we have a little grace? You see, when they get in the arena where those children are now being bid for by Satan, then they want to change their standards to fit the occasion they're in. Well, if standards are good for your family when your little children are babies, like some of them here tonight, they'll be good for your children when they get 15 and 16. And you stick with the man of God and stick with the Bible and stick with what's right and God will bless you in the area of life's natural crisis. Number four, um, talk to yourself. Talk to yourself in the hour of temptation. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, uh, 9 and 6, here's what the Bible says. In Nehemiah 5, the Bible says that Nehemiah said this. He said, I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. He said, I heard what they said. I don't have time to go into the context of what they had done. But he's, they had not acted right as God's people. And Nehemiah was angry. He said, I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Watch the next verse. Then I consulted with myself. 
I said, self, sit down. And self said, I don't want to sit down. Well, sit down anyway. And he said, I made myself sit down. And he said, I sit down. I was fuming. And I said, I don't want to sit down. And I'm going to go out there and strangle every one of them. I'm going to kill every one of them. They asked Dr. B.R. Lakin one time, had been married 50 years, had been an evangelist 50 years. said, Dr. Lakin, in all of your years, did you ever consider divorce? He said, divorce? A man of God? Divorce? Of course not. Murder? Yes. I thought about killing her a few times, but I never. But anyway, and so Nehemiah, <laughs> Nehemiah, and I'm sure there's a few women here thought about killing your husband a few times, you know. My first wife, uh, they bragged on her as being a legendary mother. And she told me one day, she said, they brag on me about being a legendary mother. She had all seven up at home. She was homeschooled and all seven up. She said, they brag on me for being a legendary mother if they only knew the times I could strangle every one of them and feel good about it, you know. And uh, we all go through those times. But anyway, so, um, so anyway, uh, where was I going, Rhonda? Help me. <laughs> I, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So he said, you know, uh, he said, I don't want to control myself. And he said, I said to myself, get a hold of yourself. You don't, you're going to go out there and mess up everything. You're going to hurt your testimony. These people won't follow you. If you want to do it right, do it right. But you can't do it wrong. Get a hold of yourself. He said, I consulted with myself. Then I rebuked the nobles and the princes. I told them what they needed to know, but I told them in a controlled manner. And I don't have time to read to you how it all came out perfect. But he had to have a talk with himself in the hour of temptation. Look, I have a preacher friend very close to me. And this preacher friend had a young fella violate his teenage daughter. And I heard about it. He had a very close-knit home. And I heard about it. And when I heard about it, I heard that he said he was going to kill the boy. Well, now, people blow a lot of smoke. Most people are, I'm going to kill somebody. They don't end up doing it. They're just mad and blowing smoke. But I knew my preacher friend. And I knew that if, if somebody didn't get to him, he just would probably kill somebody. Because he never said anything he didn't mean. I didn't have time to get to him, so I called him. I said, I hear you got a problem. He said, yeah, but I won't have one after Saturday night. I said, what's up? He said, I'm going to kill that boy. I said, you're not going to. He said, watch me. I knew he was. I knew he was. And I knew that I didn't have time to get to him. And I said, uh, and you know what he said to me? This man preached the truth for years. He said, would you give me one Bible reason why I shouldn't kill him? I said, yeah. How about thou shalt not kill? One of the Ten Commandments. So that'd be okay. Can we start there, you know? Let me tell you something. When you get under the fever of temptation, <coughs> you haven't got enough sense to get in out of the rain. You don't know what you're doing. You're as crazy as a loon when you get under temptation, whether it's anger or lust or covetous or you name it. You haven't got enough sense to get in out of the rain. And I knew I couldn't. I was quoting scripture at him. It's just like pouring water on ducks back. And I knew it was getting nowhere. So finally I said, okay, go ahead and kill him. But when you kill him, Killed your daughter too. She's over 18 years of age. He did not rape her. If you're going to kill him, kill them both. Don't be a hypocrite. Kill him. She's as guilty as he is. She's already told you she's as guilty as he is. Now, if you're going to kill him, kill them both. He got quiet. 
I said another thing. Are you going to let him do you worse than he's already done? He said, would you tell me what's worse than he's already done? I said, yeah, I'll tell you. Put you in a prison to rot away for the rest of your life and take you away from your other children who have not done anything wrong but who will go to hell if you go to jail. I said, yeah, that, that's what's worse than he's already done. I tell you what's worse than he's already done. Park you in prison to rot away for the rest of your life and let your wife live a lonely, broken heart the rest of her days knowing she had a famous preacher in America who, who loved the Lord and did right but got angry and killed a boy because he molested his daughter. I said, that's worse than what he's already done. He got quiet. He goes all over America telling people, Larry Brown saved my life. I did not save his life. All I did was got him to set himself down and have a talk with himself. You're going to have to have a talk with yourself in the hour of temptation. Look, I was preaching this out east here somewhere years ago, and a lady in that church had been texting and communicating with a man she wasn't married to, and she was married, and the other man was married, and she heard this sermon. And she came to me the second night of the meeting, and she said, Pastor Brown, and she told me what she'd been doing. She said, we had not gone into full sin, but we were on our way there. And she said, when I heard that message last night, I went home and I set myself down and I said, are you crazy? What are you doing? You're going to wreck your life and his life? That good man's got a good wife. You might as well take a knife and run in her back is what you're doing. And what are you going to do to your own little children? And how about your testimony? And how about your husband who's been a good husband to you? Are you crazy? Yeah, but I was just overtaken. Well, get undertaken then. And she said, I got on the phone, called him. Or no, she didn't call him. She texted him. Said, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to text you. I don't want to have any more communication with you. It's over now and forever. No more contact. And she saved her marriage and saved his marriage and saved her testimony because she drug up a chair and had a talk with herself. Have a talk with yourself. In the hour of temptation. In the hour of temptation. Proverbs 25, 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Have a talk with yourself. And uh, in the hour of sin and defeat, talk to yourself. The Bible says in Luke 15, 17 that the prodigal was down by the hog pen. And sometimes... It's been a great controversy over whether that prodigal was saved or lost. A certain man had two sons. So both of them were sons. But one of them made a dumb choice and a wicked choice. He said, I want what's mine. And the father gave it to him. And he went and wasted his substance with riotous living and a bunch of harlots. And he blew his testimony, blew his life, and blew his money. And he's down by the hog pen. And what does the Bible say? And when he did what? When he came to himself. Who did he come to? Did he come to his daddy? No. Did he come to his brother? No. Did he come to the preacher? No. When he came to himself, he said, how many of your father's servants are eating high on the hog? They're servants. You're a son. And here you are eating hog slop. Are you crazy? I know, I made a mess. Well, I don't know what to do. I can't go home now. I mean, good night. I, I'm a public disgrace, and, and I broke mama's heart and daddy's heart, and, 
And, and I can't face my brother either. I know how he is, and I know what he'll say, and I can't do that. I don't know. Well, you better do something because you're going to die in the hog pen, and you're a nut when, when the servants of your daddies, they're living high, and you're, you're living low. I know, but what am I going to do? I do? Hold it. I got an idea. I'll, I'll get up. The Bible says he came to himself, and he said to himself, how many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say, Father, I am no more worthy to be your son. Make me one of the hired servants. Father, I'm not coming back to be your son anymore, and I'm not coming back to get my position back. Father, uh, could you, would you hire me on? I mean, you hire other people. Would you hire me? And he said, that'd be a good idea. Well, you know what happened when the father saw him coming. The father, when the father saw him coming, he ran and threw his arms around him and he gave him the best robe and the ring and the shoes on his feet and struck up the band and had a party. But he had to come to himself. He had to talk to himself in the hour of sin and shame. And by the way, he came home. He said, I will go to my father. If you're here without the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, you need to have a talk with yourself. Amen. You need to say, look, you know, I'll never forget when I was 18 years old, the day I got saved, I'm laying on my bed and I'm, and the devil, and I said to myself, Brown, referring to myself, you know what you're going to do? And I answered myself and I said, no, what am I going to do? And I said to myself, Brown, you're going to keep fooling around and go to hell. That's exactly what you're going to do. You profess to be saved. You was you made a profession when you were 16 years old, but you didn't get saved. And you got baptized, but you, were, you went down a dry uh, center and came up a wet center. And you're going to keep fooling around. You're going to die in every preacher in the county and preach you right into hell, and you know that you're lost. And I'll never forget, I sat straight up and I said, I will not do it. I'm going to get saved. And I got saved within 30 minutes because I had a talk with myself. And if you're here without the Lord Jesus Christ, stop and think. 100 years, you say, well, what would people think tonight if, if I just went forward and said, I've never been saved? What would, what would people think? Let me tell you two things you're going to be surprised at. The first thing is this. People don't care as much as you think they do about what you do. Good night. Well, the pastor's wife, one of the sweetest Christians I know. But if she were to come tonight and say, I'm not saved and I, I've never been saved, you know, it would kind of shock you a little bit. But you know, after service, some of you'd go out down to Dairy Queen or some <laughs> restaurant. And you know what you'd say, man, that was amazing tonight. The pastor's wife, let's go get some ice cream. I mean, it wouldn't affect your life a bit. We worry too much about what people think. We worry too much about, look, and the second thing you need to know is 100 years from tonight, you're going to be screaming in hell and you ain't going to care what anybody thought. And you're going to look back and say, I was a total idiot. I could have, I could have said, look, for, if the whole world thinks I'm a nut, I'm going to get saved. Because when I get in hell, nobody's going to care anyway. Talk to yourself. Now, I'm speaking to people in this room tonight and you've you got some things you need to talk to yourself about right now. But I'm speaking to others in this room, and you need to start practicing this. And you need to start practicing talking to yourself in the hour of decision. 
in the hour of distress, in the hour of life's natural crises, in the hour of defeat and depression, and in the hour of salvation. But when one of those or more than those, you need to talk to yourself. Let's bow our heads in prayer. And thank you, Lord, uh, thank you for your attention tonight. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. This is, you, did you come to church tonight just say you did something? Or did you come to church tonight to get something from, from God? You wanted God to say something. You, you, you wanted to have something in your soul to leave with that you didn't have when you came. How many of you here and you'd say, Pastor Brown, I admit by an upraised hand that God spoke to my heart. I'm saved, I'm saved, but God spoke to my heart tonight while you were preaching. There's hands going up everywhere. God bless you. How about it? Hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. Be honest now, be honest. That's most everybody. Not everybody, but most everybody. Take your hands down. Now, let me ask this question. Is there somebody here and you say, I've never been saved? Or if I've been saved, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Get your hand up. Hold it up. Hold it up. Anybody, anybody, anywhere. Maybe it's a child, a young person, a mom or dad or an older person. Slip your hand up. Hold it up. All right. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you this. You have admitted, the majority of you have admitted that God spoke to your heart tonight in this sermon. And you don't have to come down here and tell me what it's about. It might have been about something I didn't even preach about. But God spoke to your heart about having a talk with yourself about some things. And you raised your hand and admitted that God did. Now, I'll tell you what I want you to do. When we give this invitation, if you've got to look around and see if other people are coming so you can know whether you can come or not, I invite you to stay in your pew. We don't want you down here. But if you say, if everybody goes, of course there'll be people coming forward. You know that. But what difference does it make to you? You ought to do what God wants you to do, regardless if anybody else does or not. But if you say to yourself, I don't care if everybody goes down at that altar or nobody goes. I'm going because God spoke to my heart and I'm going to get up out of my seat and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to get on that altar. Then I want you, in just a moment, we're going to have everybody stand and I want you to slip out of your seat. When you hear the sound of music, somebody can go to the piano and play there or whatever. And, uh, and don't play, uh, Jesse, till I, uh, till I start, okay? When I give you the signal, you, you can start playing. And... Um, you're, you're here tonight, and you'd say, Pastor Brown, um, God spoke to my heart. I raised my hand because he did. I tell you what, we're going to find out whether you're sincere or not. Somebody said, well, I'll get right with God in my pew. No, you won't. If you've got so much pride, you can't come down here and get on this altar. You can't get right with God in your pew. God won't let you. Pride comes before a fall. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you've done. I pray that you'll bless us now tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all the good things that you have done for us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll bless every single person that raised their hand. Come down here and get on this altar and make some vows to God that they're going to start talking to themselves more about things they need, and they're going to be honest with themselves when they talk to themselves. Lord, bless us now and be with us. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. When you hear the music, I want everybody to stand, and I want everybody that raised their hand to be coming to the front as quick as you can. Begin to play right now, if you would, Jesse. Everybody stand. 
Will you come right now? That's right. You're doing the right thing. You're doing, you're doing the exact thing God wants you to do right now. From the back to the front, the right to the left, from the middle to the outside. Let the Lord have his way in your life every day. There's no joy. There's no peace till the Lord has his way. Put your life in his hand and follow his command. Let the Lord, let the Lord have his way. Amen and amen. How about others? Will you come? Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Just stay right here and pray a little bit. We'll sing the first and the last. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him more and more, Jesus, Jesus. 
precious Jesus, oh, for grace to... Let's sing the last verse together, verse 4, 254. I'm so glad I learned to trust Him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Gee, sing it out. Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, to trust Him more. Amen. Amen. What a great message. Amen. Talk to yourself. Praise God. Let's uh, remind ourselves to do that and to bring it before the Lord. Amen. That's great. Great message. Thank you, Brother Brown, for a wonderful message. And being here, Mrs. Brown, being here with us. Amen. We're going to close out in prayer. Pray that you'd have a, continue to have a blessed week. When he would go through those hard times, I mean, I hope you got what you needed. It's amazing that God gave us all what we needed tonight. And uh, it's amazing what happens here. I was telling Brother Rob, I said, we, uh, you know, half the church, more than half the church, doesn't know what goes on on Wednesday night. We have so many guest speakers here and missionaries and fellowships and uh, activities on Wednesday nights. Yeah. And a lot of the church misses out when they... You know, they don't come here on Wednesday nights, but praise God for our Wednesday night crowd, Amen. you being here, and uh, your faithfulness, uh, and you, you get rewarded for sure. I get rewarded for being here on Wednesday nights, and uh, we're giving our hard time after a hard day's work and so forth. So God bless you. Thank you, Brother Brown, Mrs. Brown, again, for being here. I'm going to close us out in prayer, and uh, continue to pray for the Browns as they uh, go around the, the nation and preach, amen, and encourage everybody. So thank the Lord for them. Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless uh, the, this church, Gospel Light Baptist Church. Thank you for everybody here uh, tonight. We have a, a great church, Lord, that you have given us. Lord, uh, nothing that any of us have built. Uh, Jesus said, I, I will build my church. And Lord, you do a good job at that. And uh, Lord, I think we get in the way. Uh, Lord, you build our lives and we get in the way. We, we tear down a lot, Lord, that you build. And, but you're merciful, you're gracious. And, Lord, your long-suffering, continue to, Lord, as we uh, make a mess of things sometimes, Lord, just build us back up. And, Lord, let us learn to commit to your trust, Lord, uh, Lord, our lives, and, and uh, Lord, give you more of ourselves each day. And, Lord, may you have preeminence in our life. Lord, thank you for this church again. Thank you for the Browns. I pray you bless them. And, uh, Lord, as they continue to... Uh, be at many churches, Lord, throughout the year, Lord. Give them grace and strength and good health, Father, and blessings, I pray. Thank you for everybody here. Bless this night. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you.